one of the big questions that Mark and I continue to ask is, where, where are the changes? Where are the improvements? Where's the thought leadership? Where, and is this working? Welcome to the Failover Plan Podcast. I'm Shane Matthew. There are several names that come to mind when you think of business disruptors. Apple, Uber, Tesla all redefine the way we handle technology, transportation, and pollution. But since the 1980s, when business continuity began to gain traction, there really hasn't been a group that has attempted to make the same game-changing advances. That was until 2015. In that year, Dr. David Linsett and Mark Armour released the Continuity 2.0 Manifesto. And according to them, the manifesto was in response to the fact that the traditional BC methodology had really failed to keep up with technology and organizational advancements. In that same paper, they made the case that traditional BC practices have become entrenched in processes that consume time and resources, and it really caused organizations to question that return on investment. Now that's a bold statement for an industry that really hasn't changed over the years. But in the five years since that moment, their paper has led to a significant segment of BC professionals joining their movement. They've also founded AdaptiveBCP.org and authored a book that outlines their suggested practices called Adaptive Business Continuity, A New Approach. And for those who are making the switch to ABC, as it's now called, they've even founded Adaptive BC Solutions, which offers a software tool that follows these principles as well as consulting services and training. You know you've really made it big when there are grad school students writing their honors theses about your approach. So on this episode of the Failover Plan podcast, I sat down with both of them and talked about how this all started. Along the way, I got some real insight as to why they led the charge. Now this topic was so rich, I decided to break this up into two pieces. So be sure to subscribe to the Failover Plan podcast so you can get access to the second part of the series on Adaptive BC. Check out failoverpodcast.com or find us on iTunes and other podcast sites. And now, on to the show. Dr. David Linsett and uh, Mr. Mark Armour, thank you again for joining me today. I'm so excited for you both to be here. Absolutely. Glad to be here. You know, before we get started, I just want to make sure our audience knows how to get a hold of you so we don't miss that at all. So what would be the best way on social media or, or website that you would like to uh, make sure people know about? So Dr. Linsett, um, how about you? I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you can go to uh, adaptivebcp.org. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of either of us. Um, but yeah, yeah. Or info at adaptivebcp.org is the yeah. But Twitter and, uh, uh, LinkedIn, whatever. It's all good. Yep. You can. Yeah. So I've noticed you both have a LinkedIn and Twitter presence. Uh, you know, where do you find that you're getting the most interaction so far is, is either one of those places where you see more people talking about this sort of stuff? Yeah, I found LinkedIn to be very rich and I found Twitter to be very poor. I remember, <laughs> Sitting in a room of, I don't know, it must have been like 500 business continuity professionals and the keynote speaker was like, hey, how many people in the room here use Twitter? And like Five literally <laughs> like three people raised their hands. So right. I, and it's I a waste yeah, I can speculate as to why that is sort of historically. <laughs> but yeah, I've gotten very little traction on Twitter. But LinkedIn. I mean, it's hard to get. It's hard to get uh, much of our thoughts on business continuity in 140 characters or whatever it is now, but uh, I get that. You say no BIA, you'll get lots of attention. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> My lead. <is> so <laughs> save that. Save that. We've we got some time for that one to come up. 
All right, so let's spend a few minutes. I just wanted to start out by looking back a little bit. I mean, as we're talking about in our pre-interview discussion, uh, I was there around the 2015 time frame where where this kind of started to launch and uh, your uh, movement or the evolution or, you know, the terminology is has changed over the years. But the point is, you all have made an impact on the business continuity world. Uh, and in 2015, that's really where it started. Um, so for those of you who are listening tonight uh, or today and, and you really don't know what adaptive is, you know, could you guys give us like a 30 second overview of what adaptive business continuity is? Uh, uh, sure, audience. 30 seconds. Um, it, we focus on capabilities of an organization to recover from disaster instead of documentation and plans. Um, and we try and bring in innovations from agile and lean and growth mindset and motivation 3.0 and entrepreneurialism and make a an approach that is much more iterative, uh, that delivers value quickly, that is flexible, it's nonlinear, it's more uh, customer-centric, but really just trying to bring in um, all these improvements from related disciplines uh, to the way that businesses are starting to do business, well, are, are doing business. Mark, what do you think? If it, um, yeah, yeah. Uh... I, I've started to tell people that uh, adaptive, as opposed to traditional approaches, um, is meant to facilitate business continuity and business continuity keep capability, whereas our traditional perspective is that we're delivering business continuity, right? So so traditionally, we'd like mm -hmm. to think it's, it's something that's maybe not one and done, but if you complete these actions, you now have business continuity. And what we want to try to change is, well, capability is going to exist, but it's going to exist to degrees or within ranges. And what we want to, to do is identify, well, where do I sit within that range or within that, that, that spectrum? And through that, identify where can we improve and, and, and then remeasure yeah. so we actually see that we're seeing improvements in our, in our capability. So that's, that's, that's right. I, I really like how you guys uh, address the measurement aspect, right? So it's all good to say you have a program, but you know, how do you know you're either getting better or at least you can achieve what you set out to achieve? You know, um, and one thing about really like about your website is the the articles and how you listed them all out from the very beginning. Some of the things that maybe influenced you all the way to what you've written over the years. There's been a lot. So I think I count as like 48 or so. So you guys are pretty proficient in keeping the word or getting the word out there. Um, and when I noticed it was in 2012, one of the first articles that really was explicit was uh, called Why the BIA Does Not Work. <laughs> One of my personal uh, favorites. By Rene... <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, I'll put the link in, in the show notes so people who might be interested can find that. But was that the single event or was there another single event or personality maybe that kind of started to influence you guys to think about this? I mean, so I know that... your relationship started to evolve over the years, but where was that yeah, kind of... So that's Rainier's article, yeah, right? Yeah, Rainier. Right, 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 right. Yeah, um, I don't think I read it at that time. Um, for me, the, the real catalyst was um, I was working as business continuity planner at uh, the Ohio State University. And at that time, we had about 60,000 students, 32,000 employees, 500 buildings, five campuses. And we had about, I don't know, 250 different documented plans. And my question that continued to haunt me was, 
are we any better off than we were when I started? Like, to what degree are we better prepared to recover from disaster than we were two years ago or six months ago? How do we have those discussions? And um, the other difficulty I had, too, was, you know, I would come to people and I'd say, look, you know, I just I don't feel like your unit, your department is in a very solid position to be able to recover from disaster. And they would say, well, what are you talking about? You know, I filled out the template. Um, I've updated the phone numbers. Um, I've gotten I'm like, yeah, yeah, you did a BIA and you documented the risks and you have a phone number and you've done a call tree. And yet I still don't feel like you're particularly able to recover from disaster. Well, why is that? What is it about? What do I need instead of uh, plans and documents um, or maybe those are the things that I need. But that was, for me, the real struggle and the real questions that brought me to really starting to question, okay, this can't be about deliverables and this cannot be about documentation. This has to be about capabilities. Um, and Mark and I met at a conference. He gave a, uh, he was giving a similar presentation uh, and we just started talking about these things and, and working on it. And then that led to the manifesto and that led to the book and that led to the software and that led to the international advisory group. But Perhaps we're getting ahead of ourselves. So, Mark, what about you? Like, you were at Brinks since 2013, so you've been there for a while prior to kind of the launch of all this. Was there something that happened to you as well that kind of led down this road? Um, so, boy, most of most of my feelings around business continuity are informed by response to actual events, <clears throat> and uh, I've responded to many over my 18 years, uh, and absolutely none of them. <laughs> were ever aided by the data that was collected in a, in a BIA. Um, I never was involved in a response where people pulled out a plan and, and went to page 62 and said, oh, there's exactly the set of procedures I need for this specific situation and environment that I'm dealing with. Um, so I, I, and this goes back 10 years, I was already starting to gravitate towards something that was less plan focused, less data collection centric, and really how do I kind of facilitate, facilitate business continuity, how do we improve um, the capabilities I know we already have, but then fill the gaps that I, I know are, are also an issue. And I came across David's mm. article, I think that's from 2012 as well, um, measuring preparedness and predicting recoverability. Right. Um, uh, Rainier's article, the, why the BIA doesn't doesn't work, that was an eye-opener for me, but not because I stumbled across and said, oh, I can't, don't have to do a BIA. I could have already knew I didn't have to. <laughs> it, it, to me, that gave me license to, to really kind of start speaking up. Until then, I'd really never seen anybody really challenge what was the traditional mindset within business continuity. And that, that, that paper was nominated, I think, for paper of the year by the journal it was published in in 2012. Right. So I thought, right. well, if he can do it, I, I guess I can start expressing my opinion as unpopular <laughs> as it may be. And the rest is history. <laughs> and yeah, David, David is very yes. much like minded. So we, we obviously got along. Yeah, I love that because, uh, you know, like I was looking at the, again, I get, if you really want to learn about you guys, the website is very informative. But uh, one of the things you say is the driver is traditional BC methodology has become entrenched. So you were seeing some of the issues within your own experience of working as a BC professional. So was that mirrored in other people's stories at the time to you guys? How did you find out about the fact that it was across the industry? Yeah, I mean, as, as soon as we started 
talking to people and, and sharing our stories and our concerns and just asking questions. Just, you know, how do you do this thing? Oh, well, we don't do that anymore either. <laughs> we we just do it and we call it a BIA. Well, how do you get around that thing? Oh, well, you know, we actually have a way that we can so just going and asking these questions like, well, and and the constant, you know, you talk about the, the drivers. The, the other piece, too, is just sort of the constant bombardment of change. Um, change from related disciplines, change from technology. I mean, the pace of business today is so different from the time of IBM mainframes and Y2K. Mm. It was bad enough then, but it's crazy now. Um, and yet we're still, and, doing, we're still doing the same methodology as we did. Well, and that's, yeah, Y2K. that's the thing. Very difficult to, I mean, how do you do project management uh, that is talking about, you know, working in iterations and working with unknowns and working on those types of things or, or lean or any of the, 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 you know, we don't do TQM anymore, right? We do Six Sigma, all right. these changes. And yet you compare the 2003 um, professional practices to the 2013 professional, 2015 professional practices are essentially the same. So right. where is the, I mean, I guess, you know, the, the big, one of the big questions that Mark and I continue to ask, was where, where are the changes? Where are the improvements? Where's the thought leadership? Where, and is this working? Um, you know, are people, are, are we just missing it? Like, are are people going out and they're having really good success with with BIAs and with paper? They're, people are really pulling out their binders at time of disaster and going, oh, thank goodness I have this because now I know what to do. Um, right. You know, you get to the point that the, uh, Andy Andrews would say that the, um, the quality of your answers depend on the quality of your questions. And I think for a long time in the business continuity industry, we've been asking some pretty um, surface level questions. And I think that shows, too, I mean, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, five, ten years ago. Um, you know, business continuity was in, in danger of being swallowed up by enterprise risk management at that time. Uh, now it's in danger of becoming resilience uh, or cybersecurity. Or, I mean, the, we've done such a poor job of defining the value proposition of business continuity. Mm. Uh, and again, you talked about the measures at the beginning. Well, without measurements, you can't define uh, part of the value proposition and you can't define improvement and those types of things. So, you know, I think Mark and I just sort of started asking you know, different and better questions and could not get any good answers. I mean, and so we sort of had to come up with like, okay, well, what are people doing instead? Like what's actually working out there? What are you doing? What are you trying? What are you, and you know, that there's that, there's that entrepreneurial spirit that seems to be missing from a lot of business continuity. Like, we don't want to improve it. We, we just want to, you know, do it. We want to fill in the blanks and go home. I don't know. But but just that entrepreneurial spirit. Of, okay, well, what's the next thing? And how do we make it better? And how do we improve it? And how do we know if it's working? And how do we sell it? And how do we, what's the value proposition? And blah, 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 blah. I, I would, so I would, I would say, yeah, even before I ran into David, same thing. I knew a lot of folks was in the industry and they were like, uh, yeah, we do a we do a BIA wink wink nudge nudge. You know, we know they're just filling out scraps of paper and putting a BIA label on the top of it. Um, you know, I'm not calling out anybody individually, but we all know people do this, um, and we still see people promoting the idea of binders and lengthy detail plans. We know nobody's doing it, uh, so I look at adaptive as we're just giving people license to do things differently. You know, if you read ISO two two three zero one front to back, if you look at anything that our industry is publishing. 
nowadays, nowadays, it's still just promoting a very methodologically driven, very sequential, um, you know, very paper heavy document heavy type of approach to business continuity. And it, and it's weird how that does not reflect the way business continuity is practiced in the real world. So, and nobody, nobody's willing to change what these standards say. So we just said, well, we're just going to rewrite the whole book. And that way people say, well, you know what? When I come across DRI and BCI and I see that's a bunch of crap, then I'll turn somewhere else. When they stumble across <laughs> adaptive, they'll say, they'll say, oh, look, this actually, this actually reflects how I'm practicing or this makes much more sense or this is, um, this just seems to be more common sense and more practical. Yeah. You know, at the time too, there, there were just, and continue to be so many problems, right? I mean, Leadership doesn't buy into my program. I don't get the respect mm -hmm. that I deserve. I don't have the money I deserve. I don't have the people I deserve. Nobody gives me the time when I go and talk to them. Everyone hides under their desk when they when I come <laughs> and try to fill in another spreadsheet, right? So, I mean, clearly the you know even the even the anecdotal evidence is such that this is not providing value. If it was providing value, people would be happy to do it. Uh, and you know what? Here's the thing, and here's the twist: it can, it absolutely can provide value. We just have to do it in a different manner. Manner. Uh, we've got to do it with more uh, active listening and participation skills. We've got to do it with more uh, investigation skills and more human skills, and also, ironically, more measurement, right? So we've, we've spent right. the last 20 years counting documents and exercises and people and laptop flavors, and but we haven't done much in the measurement. So we need to mirror those two things together. And, you know, that just ought to, you ought to start thinking, oh, okay, well, yeah, that's how Lean would do it. That's how uh, Agile would do it. That's how Motivation 3.0 would do it. That's how business would do it. That's how the most successful companies uh, are going to be to do it. And, you know, I think you want to talk about COVID a little bit, but if we think about, you know, what worked for COVID and, and also let's think about, you know, look, to some extent, what works in actual disasters? It's not a linear playbook. Um, and we need to talk about the, the Kinefin model of complexity, too, at some point. But, I mean, look, a post-disaster environment is a very complex one. Uh, and I use that as sort of an official term from the Kinefin model uh, of complexity, right? It's There are more unknown unknowns than there are uh, no, unknown no, unknowns. That's what I want. Yes. <laughs> Essentially, we don't know what the heck's going on in a complex environment, right? It's cause and effect is very difficult to figure out. Uh, uh, information is diverse. Uh, it's a messy situation bordering on chaos. And we seem to think that we can plan for those situations in a, what they'll call, they call clear or simple or maybe even complicated way. But those kinds of, those kinds of solutions don't work in a complex environment. You can't pull out a detailed checklist because it isn't going to work. So we've got to find better ways to, to recognize the complexity. And here's, the, here's the thing. It, complexity level is not just in the post-disaster environment and continues to creep into day-to-day -day business. What's my market? What are my competitors? Uh, what is my price point? What is my market share? How am I going to do this? What are my customers thinking? What is on social media? How is that? What are my competitors doing? What is my supply chain doing? It's a very complex situation just day-to-day. -day. And you throw in a disaster on top of that and it's worse. <laughs> if I were to distill what David said, if you look at the Kinefin framework, um, what business continuity has been doing is they've been trying to solve a complex problem go. with a complicated solution, right? So yeah. or solutions to complicated yeah. issues aren't going to solve complex problems. Yeah. So. Yeah.
Yeah, that's better. He, he yeah. said it better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why you guys are uh, partnering on this, right? So, you know, look, you, you obviously are passionate about uh, this topic, even, you know, five years later, it's still like you can hear it in your voices <laughs> as you're talking through this. But what th- there's something different about feeling this way and taking on this mantle of change, right? So going out and really pushing the idea beyond your programs to beyond your sphere of influence and trying to reach more than just your immediate peers. Why did you guys take that on your shoulders to go forward like this and really reach out to more than your just network and your immediate network? I thought I was going to get a bunch of accolades and awards. I thought by now it would be like knee deep in certificates and thank you letters, but that didn't turn out to be the case. Uh, Really? It was, it was a self-service type of a decision for you, Mark? That's right. That's right. I thought, thought, yeah, this would be be making it. No, but I mean, seriously, like, you know, there's a, there's a decision point you obviously made to say, you know what, this is great that we're thinking this way, but more people need to hear about this. So what was that? What was that point or why? Did that come upon you guys as the decision to go forward? Yeah. I don't know if I have have a particular uh, explanation Uh, for me. Did I make the great David Linsett quiet down and not an answer? That <laughs> uh, I think, um, I guess, to, to be, I guess, very personal, since it is a rather a personal question. Um, for me, it, it has always been, to, to a large extent, a, a philosophical debate. Um, this is not, uh, at the end of the day, for me, and sort of deeply personally, um, this is not so much, you know, how do we... How do we capitalize on this? How do we, but it's, you know, really, what is the best way to do this? There's an answer to that question. There's an empirical answer to that question too. Uh, and we can talk about that later on as, as well. Um, but it, it's the matter of, well, what, you know, what is the right system to put in place to be able to protect our communities, to protect our organizations? Um, and look, you know, why are we, why are we, this is, if this is what we're doing for our lives, if this is how we're going to spill our lifeblood uh, and try and improve the world, well, then let's, let's do it the best that we can. And let's, let's do it the best we can for everybody as well. Um, there, there you go. If, if I were, sorry, no, I, if I were going to, if I were to give a serious answer to the question, then I guess I would say, um, I'm passionate about business continuity. It's a, it's kind of funny when I joined business continuity, I'd cycled through a bunch of different jobs and, and careers, each one lasting maybe a year and a half, two years. And I thought, well, business continuity sounds interesting. <clears throat> worst comes to worst, in a year or two, I'll go look for something else. Um, and sure enough, it was challenging. I got exposure to all different parts of the organization and all sorts of really cool, interesting people. <clears throat> um, and through that, I just kind of just became very passionate about business continuity. So as I learned over the years that, that, what I was trained on in business continuity wasn't really how it's practiced in the world, real world. It's not particularly effective. I, I guess I guess I felt obligated to maybe change things as difficult as that, that may be. That's what's, that's really kind of what's powered me these past few years is, is a, I'm very, very successful where I am. I feel like I'm doing a very good job and, and I seem to have some respect where I am. I want other people to enjoy that same thing. This does not have to be a difficult tedious drudgery, which I think some people think of it as. I think this could be a really exciting, great, 
fun endeavor. Well, and I'll add one more thing for those for those listening. It's like, how often do you get to get in on the ground floor of a discipline, right? And this, it's an amazing <laughs> yeah, opportunity, and it's one that can be shaped by every person listening to this. Uh, and particularly, we need additional thought leaders, and we need researchers, and 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 thinkers, and and writers, and, 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 and testers. I mean, everyone needs to to come into this. But I mean, look, I mean, you really business continuity didn't you could argue didn't really, really exist until somewhere around Y2K. I mean, we were doing IBM mainframes, we were doing ITDR, but really hmm. until Y2K. And it's still struggling with its value proposition and trying to, what is the body of knowledge that a business continuity professional brings to the table that no other professional can do? And that's one of the many questions that we've got to answer. I think we right. have an answer for that. Uh, but here is a chance to shape a discipline uh, in the next 10 to 20 years and have that, you could really be a great influence in this. And we need that. We need people to, to shape the discipline and to provide that body of knowledge and to continue to protect business continuity right. as a discipline, or it will get eaten up by internet templates and enterprise risk management. <laughs> David, David's awfully <laughs> optimistic. He's seeing like 10, 20 years. I, I, don't, I don't think any of my contribution will be recognized until long after. <laughs> Everybody will be looking back and saying he was gone too soon. <laughs> it'll be my it'll be my legacy. So so 2015. Okay, so we, we have established clearly the passion behind this. We've we've talked through why. I, I'm curious to know what was the war room for adaptive business continuity look like in 2015. I mean, did you guys come up with a structured plan? Because I was really trying to figure out paradigm shift. And I looked up some of the work that came into. Uh, uh, can his name escapes me right Thomas now, but Kuhn? the gentleman that came, Thomas Kuhn, thank you so much. Um, you know, how he came about with that thought process, but there really isn't a roadmap. Anybody's firmly planted as you need to do this first, this first, this first. So what was your structure? What was your thought as, was it a multi-year plan? Was it just, we'll just see how it flows and you've looked into it. Like, how did you guys come up with this? Cause we're now five years later and we're still going yeah. forward. How, how did you so guys think I mean, it's that? interesting that you mentioned Kuhn and the nature of scientific revolution, because if you look at that playbook and you match it against, and particularly for me, and, and Mark's tired of me talking about this, but, you know, for me, my benchmark is agile project management, right? So, I mean, 17 people get together in Salt Lake City, Utah in 2001. They signed the manifesto, um, and it's not for 19 years later uh, that it's included as a, an appendix into the project management uh, professional practices. Uh, and it's finally catching on. And, you know, it, it's amazing how slow that has been for people to adopt. And yet it's, it's quite clear, at least in the area of software project management, that's the way to go. So, um, you know, for me, it was, it was always just the next big problem to solve. Right. So the so going back to 2012, 2013, for me, the problem to solve was how do I know this is working? How does anybody know this is working? And so that led up with the, the RPC model and that led to, OK, well, wait a minute. If our job then is not to create deliverables, but to continuously improve an organization's ability to recover from uh, blah, 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 then this ought to be about capabilities. So really then our job should be to go out and improve capabilities. Well, there's not a lot in anywhere written about that. Well, how would we do it? Uh, well, and the first thing in 
this is an interesting point. I mean, for, to my mind, the first thing that we had to do was to generate a driver and generate a need to get this done. Um, and that led to the manifesto for a number of reasons. Um, but for me, the manifesto was, look, no one's going to be interested in trying to change if they don't see a reason to change. And they're not going to see a reason to change unless they figure out that something is broken or that they realize other people mm. are saying that it's broken. And again, most of the people that are uh, embraced adaptive are they're, they're early adopters and they've got pain. Um, or they've got some, you know, it's either right. the pain or the, or the the greed. And they're like, oh, well, great. I finally see a, a way I can succeed. I finally see a way my work can provide value. I finally see a way I get out of the drudgery that Mark was talking about. Um, so for yeah. me, it was what's the next big problem? And then the next big problem was the manifesto. And they're like, okay, well, that's great. But how would you really do this? Like, that's great. You've got nine mm. principles. Uh, but how do you translate that into actual day-to-day -day work? And that led to the book and then, you know, off and running. So, you know, for me, it was always just what is the next big problem to solve? That's interesting. That's interesting. I mean, like, yeah, so there there wasn't a continuity 2.0 manifesto manifesto where you guys had like a, a written <laughs> game plan here. It seems like it's organically started to grow and based on your understanding of how others yeah. had kind of done this. Once we tackled one problem, we'll just kind of <laughs> we've been very agile. Yeah. Just kind of experimental on that. Well, there's some truth to that. There's truth. And it's a, it's a complex situation and a complex mm -hmm. solution. And so, right. yeah. so, so then releasing the article Continuity 1.0 Preparedness in the Jurassic Era wasn't on the game plan <laughs> then. It seems as though that one really sparked a nerve. <laughs> perhaps it's so, uh... like poking the bear. <laughs> I found I can I can write articles about executive engagement and writing plans and project management all day long and they'll get a couple of likes and comments. But as soon as I say don't do a BIA or as soon as I say like some you know you're doing everything wrong, man, you get a lot of attention. So and you know what they yeah. say this well, is it... bad publicity. So I will say this much: our, our detractors yeah, well... <laughs> are helping us perhaps more so than we're helping ourselves. They're certainly giving. Us... Well, did you think that was going to be so controversial? question um yes i guess david, I guess david did. I don't, you know what's funny is i don't i suppose it's controversial i think it's controversial among like a very small extremely vocal very strident group of people i think for the vast majority of people it's like oh, i could see that that makes sense uh, but there's there's some people who are just they're just going to criticize and they're going to raise this as, as an issue and they get Again, they're driving a lot of attention to what we do, which is fine by me, and I'm happy to debate and discuss with them. So, um, so I, yeah. I guess maybe I did yeah, expect I mean, maybe just the ferocity of some of the comments, but by and large, I don't think I've been too surprised by the the, the vast majority of the the response hmm. I've seen. He is following a lot. So, of David, the, did you warn him and tell him, "Hey, no, this I is just not threw him under the bus." <laughs> it was much, much more fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, Mark, going back to this this train of thought, you you obviously came back later, and even on your <laughs> again, I love y'all's commentary. You, you said uh, Mark Armour makes enemies left and right by criticizing nearly all the hallmarks of traditional DC. <laughs> Probably a good idea. He decided to apologize three years later. <laughs> With I admit I was wrong. <laughs> so, okay, was it the ferocity of the critique, or was it the just did you change your mind? Like, why did you decide to come back later with that? That's, that's actually, that's a good question. Um, it's, it, this occurred maybe about a year and a half ago. I was preparing to deliver a presentation in London uh, last last May. Um, and I had, you know, my typical presentation 
um, similar to what we've been delivering before, which is, you know, here's, here's the traditional stuff. This does not work. We should be doing it this way. And I handed it to a colleague of mine in the UK and he said, that's, that's, that's not going to fly here. <laughs> We're more collaborative. We need to, we need to work, you know, together and, and, you know, and, and I, you know, admittedly in the United States, right, we kind of do like to, we do like to discuss and, and debate maybe a little more vocally than, than people in other countries. So his input was really kind of an eye opener and I drastically changed my approach and that presentation went extremely well. There was a lot of really good input, a lot of good discussion. And, and through that, I kind of discovered, well, you know, may, maybe a softer approach is, is better. And, and also I think we're at the point now where there's enough people who are aware of, of adaptive that we, we, we don't have to um, be nearly as controversial or confrontational in order to garner attention. Um, so we can say, hey, there's an approach out here. This is how it works. We think it's really, really good. I, I think we can, we can change our stance a little bit. Thanks for joining us this week on the Failover Plan podcast. On the next episode, we'll continue the conversation with David and Mark and find out more about their plans for the next five years. So don't forget to subscribe so you can stay in the know. Make sure to visit our website, failoverpodcast.com, or find us on iTunes and other podcast sites. Thanks again for listening. And remember, why learn how to do something on your own when there's got to be someone else who may have already learned this the hard way? <laughs>